Good morning and welcome this morning. We're so thankful you're here today. We're glad that you've chosen to be with us. And I want to begin this morning by saying something. As we greeted folks this morning out in the foyer as you were coming in, I noticed some attitudes. And you know sometimes parents, when, uh, when they are dealing with their children, they, uh, they look at their children and they tell them, they say, now you've got to do this. And I don't want you to give me any of your attitude. Now, any of y'all parents ever done that? Or, or any of y'all kids, you know, you ever had your parents say that to you? You know, sometimes they have to do that. Don't give me any of your attitude. Well, this morning I noticed some attitudes as folks were walking in, but I said that to say this, because as folks were walking in this morning, we all came into the building with an attitude. Every single one of us who walked in the building this morning came in here with some kind of attitude. You know, when we're talking about an attitude, we're talking about something that's defined in this way, a person's prevailing tendency to respond favorably or unfavorably to an object, a person, a group, or an event. Now, if I were just to put that in my own words, I'd simply say it this way, an attitude it is really and truly how we react or how we think or feel about things or about people or about uh, other uh, kinds of events. You know, attitudes are formed when we, when we look and, and we see what do we believe to be true about something and then we form that thought in our mind in regard to people or places. So it really has to do with what we believe about other things. You know, when we start thinking about attitudes, the power of an attitude is seen in the fact that since it reflects what we believe about things or about people or about events or whatever it may be, since it reflects what we believe, it reflects what we are, what we will do, how we will react, what we will sacrifice, how hard we will work, and how much of ourselves we will give to anyone or anything. And so it's really important for us to understand some things about attitudes. When we talk about attitudes this morning, we can talk about both positive and negative attitudes. And when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about a, a wife who bought her husband two brand new neckties, and, and the husband looked at them, and, and he grabbed them up, and he went in the bedroom, and he got you know in front of the mirror, and he put one on, and he came back out, and he looked at his wife, and he said, how do I look? And immediately she looked back at him and said, don't you like the other one? You know, sometimes we have attitudes that are just negative in nature. It doesn't make any difference what you do. You have a negative outlook on things. But as Christians, it's imperative that we have a positive attitude about things. We, we have to, as Christians, have an attitude that is positive. Now let me begin this morning by saying about a positive attitude what we're not talking about. When we're talking about a positive attitude, we're not talking about looking at things through rose-colored glasses that, that just overlooks things that, that are bad. You know, there are bad things in life, and we have to face that. We need to understand that there are bad things in life, and they happen to good people sometimes, and it doesn't make them good, but 
sometimes people just look at things through rose-colored glasses and, and overlook the bad. And that's not a good thing, and that's not what we're talking about this morning. We're not talking about having this Pollyanna kind of attitude where uh, we become so overly optimistic about things that we become naive about what's going on around us and we refuse to uh, accept the facts of unfortunate or, or wrong things in life. There are some people that I have become acquainted, been acquainted with in the past that that they sort of had that kind of attitude and no matter what it was that happened, no matter what a person said or what a person taught, they wanted just to overlook what was taught, whether it was right or wrong, whether it was truth or falsehood. And so we're not talking about, we were talking about having a positive attitude as a Christian, being that Pollyanna kind of person that becomes naive or refuses to accept that which is not good or not right. But this morning when we're talking about a positive attitude, we have to be thinking about it from a Bible standpoint. One of the things that we need to understand is that when the Bible discusses attitudes, it uses such words as countenance and mind and heart. Let's look at two or three passages of Scripture this morning where an attitude is discussed so that we'll sort of catch on to what we're talking about here. In the book of Ezra, chapter 7, at verse number 10, the Bible says, Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Notice the Bible talks about Ezra, how he had set his heart, there's some determination there, but it also speaks to the attitude that he had toward the Word of God. He wanted to know it, and he wanted other people to know it. And not only did he want it to know it, but he wanted to obey it. He wanted to do what God has to say. There are people who have an opposite kind of attitude toward the Word of God, they really don't care what it says, and when they're confronted with what it says, they do not want to believe it nor obey it. But Ezra believed in God, and therefore he believed in his word, and his attitude toward God and toward his word was, I want to know what he has to say so I can do it, tell other people, so they can do it, and we can all be pleasing to God. That's an attitude that's being spoken of, but he speaks about how that Ezra had set his heart to uh, uh, study and to know the Word of God. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4, verse number 6, the Bible says, So built we the wall, and the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Their attitude toward completing the, the wall, that a Jerusalem that had been torn down, was that since they had been motivated by God through his prophet to do what he had been telling them to do, they were ready to do it day and night. They stood, and even though there were, were enemies that were around them, they held a weapon in one hand and they worked with the other. And they were able to complete the work. Their attitude of the work, their attitude toward the work of the Lord was a can-do attitude and one that no matter the situation, no matter the obstacles, no matter the, the, the influences for bad against it, they were willing to go. 
But the Bible speaks about the attitude that they had and saying that the people had a mind to work. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5 and going through verse number 8, the Bible says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. As you look at that passage of Scripture, there's an attitude. Have this mind in you. Have this mind among yourselves. With what kind of attitude, what kind of mind was it? Same one that Jesus had. What was it? Well, I'm not necessarily having to hold on to what I have, but I'm willing to sacrifice what I have right now in order to do better, to do good, to do the will and the work of God. And so this morning we could spend all of our time in talking about that one, but the attitude that Jesus had was being pleasing to his Father and doing the things that he wanted. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 1, the Bible says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Jesus was willing to go to the cross. He was willing to suffer. He was willing to die for us. And Peter says that we're to have the same kind of attitude. That we should be willing to suffer that when we do, when we have our heart set to that point, when our attitude is no matter what, whether someone beats me or, or whether they say bad things about me or whether they laugh at me, I'm willing to do what God said. Have that kind of attitude. When we do, the Bible says, we cease from sin. We, we stop doing the wrong things and start doing the right. And so that's the kind of attitude, the kind of thing that we're talking about when we're thinking about attitudes this morning. But I want you to also understand something else about attitudes this morning. Attitudes are greatly influenced by association, so that means they are contagious. They're contagious. You know, in recent weeks... You know, people would walk out the back door and they won't shake hands. And the other Wednesday night, I, I didn't shake hands with folks because I had some kind of crud going on in my head. We don't want to pass things along. You know, the Bible talks about sharing, but there's some things that we really don't want to share. You know, uh, we want to give good things away. Not Well, you know, we'd like to get rid of them ourselves when it comes to the colds and stuff, but, but we, we don't want to really other folks to have those things. But with an attitude, it's sort of like the cold. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, because we have association with other people, because we're in close proximity to them, to our, to our own family members, to our church brothers and sisters, to our classmates at school, our co-workers at work, because we're in close proximity to them, the attitude that we have can rub off on them. It can be contagious to them. You ever been around a person with a negative attitude? You know, quite often when you, when you look at people with a negative attitude and you look at the folks that surround them, a lot of them have negative attitudes as well. 
They feed on one another. It's that way and sometimes in congregations. It's that way sometimes among preaching brethren. They have a negative attitude. Same is true with those who are positive. If we have a positive attitude, where we're optimistic, where we're willing to work and willing to do and willing to go and willing to sacrifice, that rubs off on folks as well. And so attitudes are greatly influenced by the associations that we have, and they are indeed contagious. We have to constantly remember that today and every Sunday, there are people who are with us, who who need Christ in their life. They need what Jesus is offering them. He offers forgiveness of sins. He offers a, a family with which they can associate who loves and cares about each one of them. We have to remember that. But if our attitude shouts that we're miserable with these things, why would anybody want what we have? You see, that, that's a part of that contagiousness of Christianity. We can, we can have an influence on others by having the wrong kind of attitude that could cost them their eternal soul. And so we as Christians have an obligation to look at and to consider the attitude that we have. Our attitude also affects our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are talking about a positive attitude. A positive attitude can help our brothers and sisters in Christ create zeal and enthusiasm for the work of the Lord. Our positive attitude can help develop certain character traits such as friendliness toward another and, and those who are, who are non-Christians as well as Christians alike. Where there's friendship and joy and perseverance, uh, perseverance that is developed. A positive attitude can help some brethren develop that can-do attitude of their own toward the work of the Lord and inspire them to do things that they did not believe that they could do. A positive attitude that we as Christians have helps some folks develop up to their own potential, but a negative would help to reinforce the fact that they needed to just stay back and stay down. You see, that contagiousness is something that we need to look at and we need to constantly be aware of as Christians. Christians have to have a positive attitude. But what are some of the things that Christians need to have a positive attitude toward? Number one on the list this morning, Christians must have or maintain a positive attitude toward God. Think about the Bible, the verses that you know. We're not revealing anything that you haven't already read, but think about what is said in Mark chapter 12 at verse number 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the attitude that we have toward God. We have to maintain that positive attitude toward Him. We need to maintain a positive attitude toward the church. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, the Bible talks about Paul and, and the church and what he constantly has on his mind, or one of the things at least he constantly has in mind in regard to the church. Notice what he says there in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. 
And apart from other things, Paul says, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. You see, Paul wanted God's people to succeed. He wanted them to, to be able to have a loving congregation to teach their family members, their own family members, about God so that they could go to heaven. He wanted the church, the local churches, as well as mission churches, wherever they might be, to be able to spread the gospel and continue spreading the gospel but also to have that, that same kind of love for one another, that while they're there, they grow and they nurture one another and they nurture the things that God wants. That's an amazing thing, that God in His infinite wisdom knew that we needed a social group to be a part of. Long before there was social media, God put the church together. It says, here's your friend list that you should have and to grow. But Paul said, I, I constantly have the cares of the churches. There were churches who were fussing and fighting. Paul knew that wasn't right. There were churches who, who had a tendency along the way to, to stray from the, the gospel, the, the word of God, and Paul knew that wasn't right. And so he constantly had the best interest of the church in mind. You know, sometimes there are people who, who don't have the best interest of their brothers and sisters of the church in mind. They constantly are like some of those who Paul was, was concerned about. They run the church down. They run brothers and sisters down. They have bad things to say about them. And that's not good. That's not right. We have to maintain a positive outlook, a positive attitude toward the Lord's church. You know, why would, why would any one of your friends want to be a part of this congregation based on the way that you talk about it? If you constantly are negative toward it, no wonder no one wants to be a part of it that you know. But if you're constantly positive toward it, not overlooking bad things, but constantly positive toward the fact that this is the body of Christ, that people who are here, though they're imperfect, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's love and there's unity and there's a desire to, to help each other get to heaven. Why wouldn't anybody want to be a part? And so Christians must maintain a positive attitude toward the church. Christians also must maintain a positive attitude toward being different from the world. Notice this passage found in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 14, Paul says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. A lot of times people will take that passage, and we'll go farther in it in just a moment, but a lot of times folks will take that passage and say, you know, we shouldn't be married to non-Christians. Well, there are other passages that help us in our understanding of that, but he's talking to the church in general here. He's talking to Christians in general. He says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? That's a good question, isn't it? 
Why would we want to have a relationship when we're seeking to do what's right and other folks are seeking to do what's wrong? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, he asked? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What do they have in common? Not much, other than the believer wants to help the unbeliever become a believer, not to remain an unbeliever. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and will be their God and they shall be my people. He's talking about the church. He's talking about us as individuals coming together to make the church the dwelling place of God. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. You know, in direct conflict with that passage, so many churches today want to be as close to the world, to being like the world, as they possibly can be and still call themselves people of God. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that that's the attitude that we're to have. Rather, he says, we're to have a positive attitude toward the separation of light and wrong, of light and darkness, of good and evil. When did we become convinced that we're to become like the world rather than seeking to help the world become more like Christ, the one that we're following? You see, that's the thing that that really we need to be thinking of. But if we have this attitude that, that, well, if we're too different, nobody will like us, and if we're too different, people will laugh at us, and if we're too different, if we're too separate, if we're too... that somehow we have disobeyed God. I don't know where that came along, when that came along. In Scripture, we're to have a positive attitude toward being different from the world so that we can help the world become more like our Savior. We're to have a positive attitude toward life. Christians have to maintain that. In the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. You know, that's the second week in a row that I've used that passage of Scripture. Not all things are good, but God can use things for good. God can make good come from those things. I think for the years the Lord rules in the kingdoms of men. And no matter what happens in our life, we're to have a positive attitude toward life itself, even on the bad days, even on the days when things are not good. There's so many things in our world. Next Sunday morning, we're going to be talking about the sanctity of, uh, of human life. But even when we're thinking about the sanctity of life, we think about abortion and things that are related to that. But on the opposite end of life now is those who want to terminate life because people get old. People get sick. It's the wrong outlook on 
life itself. Just because bad things happen does not mean life is bad. We have to have a positive attitude toward life in all of its aspects. We have to choose, though, to be positive. And one thing about it is this. We can control our attitudes. Think about it in these terms. We not, may not be able to control or change our circumstances, but we can control our attitude that we have. We can even rejoice when the times are hard. Look at a couple of passages with me before we close this lesson out. James chapter 1 at verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. When the trials, when the tests of life come, James said, count it as joy. How? How's that possible? How could we ever do that? Well, one of the things that helps us to have a positive attitude toward even the trials of life, even the hard times of life, is that we can understand the value of the difficult times. And we need to understand the value of the difficult times. That's why James didn't stop there. He continues in verse number 3. For you know, he says, count it all joy, even in the trials of life. And then he starts out, continues on rather, for you know, here's how you can do it. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, in understanding the value of difficult times, we, we understand that it makes us stronger. It helps us to grow the muscles that we need to remain close to Christ. Sort of the same thing is true in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Why do athletes train? Why is one football team able to continue to, to appear to be so much stronger in the fourth quarter than, in, than the other team. A lot of times it's because of the training that they have done. Because of the hard work. Their muscles got sore. Uh, they got winded. You know, and they kept on and they kept on and they kept on and they built that endurance. And they're able to continue on. Why is the marathon runner or, or even the sprinter, why are they able to, to outdo it? Is, it? is it because of natural talent? Well, it has a lot to do with it in, in some of those things, but, but even those who are the most talented, they have to train, don't they? To build the endurance. And when we begin to understand these kinds of things, it could and should change the attitude that we have toward them. You see, with a proper understanding, we can maintain a positive attitude despite or in spite of the external circumstances that we have in this life.
Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, Paul says, Even if I'm poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Why could Paul say that? He had been through enough things, endured enough hardships, and remained faithful to his Lord that even, even near the end of his life, he could say, I'm ready. And no one could do anything that would change him. Paul still had that positive outlook. One of the things that we need to remember is this. You are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. You're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. That's why when we start looking at passages such as the one in the book of Philippians that was read to us this morning, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. That's a part of the positive that we as Christians need to remember. If you think you can't, you probably won't. If you think angry thoughts, angry words will probably follow. If you fill your mind with sexual fantasies, your body will find a way to fulfill that desire. If you dwell on your problems, they will soon overwhelm you. If you feel like a victim, sooner or later you probably will be one. If you give way to worry, don't be surprised when you get ulcers. If you think low thoughts, low living will soon follow. If you expect defeat, you'll probably lose. If you dwell on rejection, you'll set yourself up for even more rejection. I'm I'm reminded of a story that I read about a man who was telling about his cousin. He was talking to his cousin, and his cousin asked him, he says, how are you doing? And, and the reply was this, well, I'm so sad. I broke up with a girl that I really liked, and, and I just can't get her off my mind. Well, the cousin answered the reply back, says, well, tell me about your day. To which the man said, well, this morning I went for a walk and thought about how much she meant to me. Then I watched a romantic comedy and thought about all that I had lost and how alone I am. Uh, Later on in the day, I listened to our song three times and just remembered the good times that we had. Well, the cousin said, wow, what are you doing right now? The guy replied, well, I'm just going over a few of the love letters she wrote me. I just wish I could stop being so sad. To which the cousin replied, you are an idiot. Why was he having so much problem? Because his thought process was in the wrong place. 
If you look at noble things, nobility will mark your life. If you seek out lovely things, your life will be lovely to others. If you dwell on what's right, that which is wrong will have no attraction to you. If you think pure things, you will become pure. If you look for virtue, you will find it. If you search for higher things, you will elevate your own life. You see, that's God's prescription for believers who are trapped in unhealthy living to have that positive attitude that He so much wants you to have. As I close the lesson this morning, let me tell you about C.J. George. C.J. George was a young nine-year-old little boy who was battling cancer. And by all accounts, he maintained a positive attitude toward everything that he went through. And he actually became an encourager to those who were around him. And in addition to that, he became a poet as well. And he would write down his thoughts. And one of the things, one of the poems that he wrote was this one. It's entitled, There Was a God. Listen to it. God created the universe. Inside that universe was a solar system. Inside that solar system was a planet. Inside that planet was a continent. Inside that continent was a country. Inside that country was a state. Inside that state was a city. Inside that city was a a county. Inside that county was a house. Inside that house was a boy. Inside that boy was a heart. Inside that heart, there was a God. In order to have the positive attitude about life, God must be in our heart. To maintain the positive attitude toward God, we must realize how good that He is and hold Him near to us. To have the positive attitude about His church, about being separate from the world, about being the kind of people that that God wants us to be, God must be in our heart. I have a question for you this morning that's simply this. Do you need to let God into your heart today? And to become obedient to Him in your life. You may be here this morning and know that you need to be baptized for the remission of sins. We'd love to assist you with that. It may be this morning that you want to know more about what to do to be saved. This lesson hasn't been about that, but we'd love to sit down with you and discuss that with you so that God can be a part of your heart. It may be this morning that in the past you become obedient to God. I have a question for you if you've left Him. Do you need to let God back into your heart? So that you can have the positive outlook, the positive attitude that God wants His people to have. Inside the heart, there was a God. What about your heart? Do you need to respond to His invitation today? Right now, as together we stand. Jesus is tenderly calling thee home, calling.